Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast. This is episode three. My name is Mike Montgomery. With me, as always, Chris Salamone. How's it going? And Ben Ueda. Hi. <laughs> What's up, everybody? How is everything going this week? What are you all working on? Things are good. I am down in North Carolina, and uh, I am doing the sort of uh, paying the bills part of designing and making stuff on YouTube. I'm down here to do a Facebook Live video tomorrow with a NASCAR driver named Austin Dillon because we have a shared sponsor, uh, QuickRead. Oh, that's cool. So, yeah, it's kind of it's interesting, too, because... uh, it's interesting to see sort of like the NASCAR approach, which is like the opposite of the way I sort of do right. uh, product integration. For them, it's literally like, okay, yeah. watch the cars, stickers on the cars. It's, it's like, like the Fig Newton, very, the Fig Newton uh, sticker across the windshield <laughs> on Ricky right, Bobby. Where it's like, it, yeah, it's just totally disconnected. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, with obviously what I do, it's actually featuring the products in the process in a way that the the advertising audience would hopefully find interesting or compelling or useful yeah um so yeah gonna experiment with some facebook live broadcasts um and uh that's always interesting figuring out the sort of logistics of that especially in an interview format for sort of you know going live and getting good audio and, Uh and all that stuff that's sort of tricky so uh yeah so taking a day off of making doing a little traveling and uh learning all about cars but i will tell you I am so impressed by their workshops. Their yeah. workshops yeah. are like they're like surgical clean rooms. Like everything <laughs> is so organized and OCD. Yeah. And it it's actually like kind of inspiring because I'm not the neatest person in sort of, you know, putting my tools away or mixing things in or not like oiling down the things that, you know, I shouldn't rust. Right. Um so just seeing like how organized and how fast that lets them do things that would be kind of annoying like i hate changing saw blades and stuff like that but it's also because i have to look for those weird wrenches you know right. the weird flat ones yeah. that you, you just put in one big drawer and they're not labeled so that that's the really cool part is actually seeing at this really high meticulous surgical level how shop organization really just makes these mundane repetitive tasks just fly right by so you're going to get a chance to ride in a nascar I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to get the ride in one, um, but uh, definitely, you know, pose in front right. of for the ground. And I'd be trying to convince him. <laughs> Chris, what are you working on, man? So uh, I've been kind of having a little creative block this week after, interestingly, after the uh, inspiration talk last week. I don't know, is it called creative block if it's in this space or is it called maker's block or maybe we can coin a new term or something? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was kind of like, trying to think about my next project, what I want to do. Um, and so then I started thinking about, you know, maybe I need like a change of pace. Maybe I need to try a new medium or something. I even thought about concrete like you guys do. Um, looked into that a little bit, started looking into like, um, steel cable, seeing if I, if that sparked anything and then, Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I think actually by doing that and kind of taking my mind off of it, then I had a few ideas pop into my head. I don't know what, like two days ago. So, Uh, you know, wood ideas. So back to basics, but now I'm just kind of trying to fine tune the the idea that I'm most excited about is, um, it's a one legged, uh, cabinet, I guess you would call it. The base is just one leg. Um, so it would look kind of funny. Like obviously if it, if it was just balancing on that one leg, it wouldn't work. It would just tip right over. But I think that by using an attachment to the wall, and I think it can be oh, a very okay. soft attachment because it's it's basically just enough to not get it to pull away from the wall. And mm-hmm. then so that any 
you know, gravity is basically being counteracted by the one leg. Um, it should be plenty strong. And it's, I guess it's more of like a art piece than a, or a, a prototype piece than a um, finished piece, I would call yeah. this one. But it's uh, at least it's got me excited about it. So I'm going to just try to spend pretty much tonight coming up with a, the design for it so that then I can buy all my materials and hopefully get started in like two days from now. Chris, how many pieces of furniture have you designed and made this year? Um, well, I guess since it's a new year, only three. <laughs> but okay, it, so we're like not even a quarter of the way through, and you've already made three original distinct yeah. pieces yeah. of wood. So I get. I, I think this might be a thing where I mean, you're saying it's like maker's block. Really, I think it's more like a YouTube publishing block, right? Because if you were if you were just thinking of yourself as just a woodworker, not as like a content producer, like producing three original pieces, I know in like a few months is incredibly prolific. I know. And that's right. what I actually, what we're talking about right now, I think is going to spill into our main topics. So I'll save some of it for that. But yeah, it, that's something I think about a lot, like just keeping it up, moving forward. Like, is it really realistic? That That's one of the things I look at, like the people who, you know, like David Pachuda, who does two videos a week. And I'm like, even if the pieces magically made themselves, there's no way I could conceptualize two pieces a week and and keep it fresh so yeah i mean and you know obviously you have to get creative and start really branching out when you're doing that type of thing but yeah i mean i think there's like a real ceiling on how much i could really produce in a year doing what i'm doing now <laughs> well I, I was re-watching your your xbox shelf video mm-hmm. uh the other day and like that one seems to be doing really well for yeah. you and yeah. i think with the way sort of youtube and stuff is going like producing more videos <laughs> Rather than like that video is going to do a lot for you. It seems to be moving the needle up on your channel because it's original. It's distinct. It fits a certain sort of genre. There's an outside interest outside of of the woodworking community. It cross pollinates really well as too. Is that a pun? Right. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah, it's 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 going to it touches on a lot of the things that we're that we're talking about uh, tonight for tonight's topic, which is form versus function and we're also adding in this other element because we all sort of showcase the process of our work not just a final product Mm -hmm. so you hear a lot of sort of form versus function sort of arguments oh this guy's he makes really cool looking stuff but what is it really useful for they're just sort of decorations or art pieces and you hear other people oh it's super functional but where's the art in it right but i think the sort of third part that that people like sort of us face is also the experimentation part and that's not just if you want to be a YouTuber or you want to sort of uh, exhibit how you make. It's actually a really important thing, too, of how you grow because you don't, uh, at least in my opinion, I think one of the ways you grow is by trying sort of new things. When you try new things, you might not end up with form or function. You might end up with just a big pile of crap that yeah. doesn't work and is kind of falling apart. Yeah. So uh, our topic for tonight is going to be sort of form versus function versus experimentation. Um, and when you say that you have, you know, maker's block, I'm like, what is he talking about? Like, you just finished something that was distinct, uh, contemporary. It's not like there's a Victorian Xbox table, right? <laughs> right? It's like there's a couple shaker the ones moment. out there, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, no, the, sh- the shakers were not. They're not Xbox. They're all PlayStation, guys. right? Yeah. Um, right. So it it might just be the the medium of expression is 
actually putting pressure and informing on the sort of maker sort of uh, and designer part of you that's might be unrealistic. Yeah. I mean, it's something I think about a lot. I kind of, you know, it's still very new to me. So I very much consider myself in the growth phase of the channel right now. And so I really try to focus on, I mean, what's worked for me so far is when you make interesting projects, they do well. When you make a project that's not that interesting, it doesn't do that well. So it's kind of simple, but it's true. And I think that not that you're never not in the growth phase, but once I feel like I'm a little bit past that phase, then I feel like I can start branching out in the types of things that I'm doing and maybe use the channel to almost be kind of like a um, documenting of my taking on new things and learning new things, which I think that you guys are already doing with your channels. I haven't really done that much of that with my channel. But yeah, I kind of feel like that'll be the next phase that I'll eventually get into. Yeah, and I'm, and I think there's not a better time, especially with a channel your size, because you can really like set a precedent where you know you don't get locked into you know your audience expecting it to be you know this mid-century piece or this modern piece every time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If you kind of like I said, set that precedent of experimentation, your audience will be like really excited to see kind of what you kind of experiment with. Right. Your pro- your projects have a lot of steps. Mm-hmm. I'll publish projects that have like. <laughs> like eight distinct steps to them. Yours have like 30 or 40. Yeah. So you're doing right. Like the, the, the breadth of your projects are, are really deep. I mean, they're, they're completely finished, you know, uh, projects. And you also so, sort of show some design process details in there as well too. So yeah, I, it, it also, if it also becomes a video thing, it also might just be like this sort of, you know, two to three part video for some of these projects because they're, they're big. Right. I think that the, the natural evolution of it should be like, you know, if I could look into a crystal ball and see what will I be doing in three years, Mm -hmm. I think that the finished like designed pieces that should probably be like a once every three month kind of video. And then in between that is more of like getting me to that point. I think it is really going to be challenging to do, you know, 18 finished pieces of furniture every year unless you're just repeating stuff which will probably happen at some point too. and and you got a day job exactly (laughs) Mm -hmm. hopefully in three years i won't have that anymore either right so mike what are you up to uh you out of the you done with power carving for the for the time? <laughs> yeah. Being? So, like I mentioned last week, I'm starting on a on a on my third bed video. Uh, but this one is actually for me. It's the first one I built for myself, so that's exciting. Um, and yeah, I mentioned that I was going to do leather for the headboard uh, last week as well on the podcast. But I kind of I don't I wouldn't say I chickened out, but I went to Tandy Leather. Uh, there's one about 30 minutes away from my house. And unfortunately, I was going in there to get just a, I don't know what it's really called. So anyone that works with leather, forgive me, but just like a bleach white piece of leather, I guess, just as stark white as you can get. But the closest they had was like a really kind of off white cream color. So I ended up just kind of and and that was something I didn't know if it was just because they didn't have like a pure white in stock or if that's something that just doesn't come with leather. So I ended up going to Hobby Lobby and just getting some some of the like vinyl uh, fake leather, the pleather. Um, and yeah, so I just got a couple of yards of that. And instead of paying 250 bucks for a cowhide, I spent $13 on fake leather. So that was... Uh, so you're doing the... 
You're doing the Boogie Nights bed, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> yeah, but uh, it was, yeah, I was okay, you know, not using leather. I got another, I got a couple other projects, ideas this week thinking about it because I've been kind of, like I said, thinking about leather and projects where I can incorporate it. So I'll save that. I'll save that for a couple weeks and stick with the, stick with the fake stuff for now. Now, is working <laughs> with vinyl, is that like... Can that skill translate it all over to leather? Or? I think so. So from what I understand, the, the upholstery leather that I saw at Tandy Leather, it was probably about twice as thick as what I'm working with. But I'm still planning on uh, taking in the advice that the people at the leather shop gave me in terms of I told them what I was doing, uh, working with, you know, a plywood frame as as my headboard. And I'm just going to yeah. upholster over that. So they just re- recommended like letting it fold behind the headboard and then just use tacks to hold it all in place so my plan is just to put some carpet tape down on the edge and then tack it all down um and hopefully that should hold well there'll be some batting behind the vinyl as well so i don't know we'll see (laughs) i don't know if i could do it i can't even wrap a present right (laughs) (laughs) you know my wife do that yeah so it'll be a it'll be a learning experience again this week so i'm excited for it though that sounds cool yeah um, so yeah, Ben, you've got the idea again this week for our show topic, which you kind of, which you kind of talked about. So I'll kind of let you kind of, I guess, dive deeper into it. And, uh, I'm excited to hear what you got to say about it. Right. So again, this is like a topic that comes up often in our sort of community and it's, it's tend to be used as a way of, uh, sort of talking about other people's projects where they'll say, Oh, this person's more into form. This person's more into function. Yeah. Um, but again, I've always thought that that sort of argument with just those two, you know, that sort of uh, a binary sort of argument is a little bit limiting. Uh, and I think sort of experimentation is is the sort of third thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say about, you know, about one out of every five projects that I do is a complete experiment. I, I don't know if it's going <laughs> to, I don't know really what the form's going to be. I don't really know if it's going to be functional at all. Mm-hmm. Um but I know that I have a certain idea that I want to work through and I might as well sort of uh, share the sort of experiment with the sort of audience, both in the interest of sort of, <laughs> I think it's fun to see what people are sort of trying for the first time. And also it's a great way to sort of crowdsource feedback and ideas for things that are sort of half baked. So I think that's sort of an interesting uh, topic for us to sort of go about is again, sort of piggybacking on what we talked in the previous episode uh, about our sort of process is how we approach these sort of topics. Do, you know, I'm, I'm curious to hear about how you guys take on projects because it's it's very different. I mean, yeah. for Mike, you know, for you, for the, you know, one of the ones you talked about last week, uh, it was maybe not, it was it was formed from your sort of inspiration of, of the piece that you're looking right. at. But it was also very much driven by like the sort of tool you were interested in sort of experimenting with. Yeah. Um, and then your sort of function was sort of was interesting in the end. You're like, oh, this might dry out and crack and I might have to add more sort of practical features to it over time. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. And with. with so, yeah. yeah. So why don't you take it next? And then, you know, with Chris, too, I'm super interested because your stuff is so detailed and so methodically planned out. Where right. you're actually showing the drawings and stuff in the videos. I'm really interested in how those two things play in for you as well. Yeah, so typically everything I'm doing is is really function-driven. Uh, so whenever I'm, I guess, inspired or I come up with the idea to make a certain project, it's usually because I either need it to do something or someone wants me to make something that does something for them. 
So, for example, with the bed I'm building, uh, the room I'm moving into is relatively small, so I need more storage. Um, so that was like the whole driving force behind building this bed was I needed to build a bed with storage firstly and then on this second level is i needed it to look good i needed it to look modern and to fit the aesthetic of what i normally build um so i went in it i went into it with that mindset of how can i how can i make a bed with good storage and then secondly not make it look like one of those captain beds that you see in like 12 year olds bedrooms you know (laughs) (laughs) like to make an an adult yeah like a very adult bed with storage that doesn't look uh cheesy You want to be taken seriously. Yeah, exactly. Um, Which I think I did. I think it came out really cool. But, you know, in that search, it kind of led to some really cool, I guess, experimentations. Um, So the whole whole frame of it is sort of built out of three-quarter inch plywood. And the way I've put it all together, it kind of... I was inspired by... I don't know if you guys know about these, but they're kind of... I always had some mixed in with my Legos whenever I was a kid, but they were like... uh, they were like three dimension, three dimensional Legos. They were like X's that could all interlock together to make like these three D structures. I don't know if you guys ever saw those before, like um, Tinker Toys, maybe or yeah, maybe that's Connects. what they're called. I don't, I don't know. I just had like a bunch of them kind of mixed into my Lego bucket that I would normally just like put to the side, mm-hmm. but for whatever reason, they kind of like they got stuck in my head this week, and that's what I kind of used to inspire the design of the frame, <clears throat> where. So it's about 11 inches tall, and and I'm using half-lap joints to join all of these pieces of plywood. But instead of the half-laps being across the, the depth of the board, they're across the width of the board, so that when you stand them up, they interlock on their edge together. Um, I don't know if I'm explaining that very well, but that was kind of the the way I was able to experiment this week was experimenting to find a cool way to join up this base to where... I can make it to where I can take it apart and it can go back together if I move and I can fit it, you know, into my space and then put it back together and reassemble it. So that was kind of one of the, not struggles, but one of the concerns in in designing this as well is I needed it to, you know, be a bed with storage, but I also needed to make it to where if I move, I can take apart the bed, move and reassemble it really easily. So I wanted to keep it to where I'm not using any glue any everything's for the most part held together with pocket screws and everything just sort of like locks into place really, really well, um, just with friction. So that was pretty cool. Um, so, Mike, did the idea for the way that you joined it together, like with the with the half laps, uh-huh. did that come while you were already designing or was that kind of like the starting point and then you built around that idea? Um, no, that came across while I was de- designing it. My plan was, so the the frame essentially, it's... You've got one piece of plywood going down the center. It's almost like the spine of it. And then there's five almost like vertebrae coming off to the side. They're the horizontal supports. And each of those horizontal supports are basically making the slot where the drawer is going to go. And so, yeah, my plan initially was just to cut and was to cut each of the horizontal pieces basically in half and then attach them to the center. But for whatever reason, I was think I kind of thought about those Tinker toys and how they were able to interlock together. And I thought, oh, I can use that same idea and make the, the horizontal spines or whatever you want to call them all one piece. That way it can all lock together and, and be that much stronger. So that's pretty cool because that's an, an example of how Basically, that's the experimentation in this project. But then if it works out, a bunch of different designs can spawn from this idea. 
Yeah, so I don't know how well I did of explaining it. It's kind of a hard thing to do verbally, but uh, <laughs> if you're listening to the podcast, the video should be out by now. So check it out, and you'll hopefully understand what I'm talking about, and maybe have a little bit less confused faces than what I see from you two. <laughs> you know, I'm the worst when it comes to like I'm such a visual learner. Like when I hear other podcasts where people are explaining things, I'm like, I can't yeah. picture that at all. Yeah, maybe it's just a lack of like terminology, you know. Of, I'm like, bad at it always. Of like actually being able to explain like the technical terms of you know, in a from a woodworking perspective. Maybe that's something I need to do is beef up my woodworking vocabulary. Yeah, get that uh, jargon going. Yeah. So, what about you, Chris? Okay, so to step back to the first idea of form versus function, I think it's funny because it's it's one of those terms that we're all familiar with for sure. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's probably a strict definition of it, and then there's kind of people's interpretation of what the definition of uh, definition of it is. So actually, before we started, I just was I just wanted to Google it real quick just to see what the definition, the first definition that pops up is. So it says the shape of an object should pr- should be primarily based upon its intended purpose. So I feel like from that definition, it's almost like well, what furniture isn't form following function? Unless you're becoming like super strict about, you know, there can be no embellishments and all this. And, and I don't think that's what it means. And it's actually something that I kind of talked about in the Bad Larry video that I did, the trapezoidal um, cabinet. Yeah. At the, and I got a, a little bit of negative feedback from people saying, oh, that's not what form follows function means. Um, but basically, the, the point I was trying to make was that, you know, we don't design things to maximize utility. That's not always the main purpose. If it was, everything would just be a boring box that was Mm -hmm. perfectly shaped to hold whatever, to fit in whatever space we had. And and so basically what I was saying is, you know, our furniture is a reflection of who we are and it should, you know, people should be able to look at it and it should say something about you, just like the clothes you wear, the movies you like, or the music you like. And so sometimes the primary purpose of a piece can be to look cool. That's what I was trying to say in that. So that, right. you know, and because a trapezoidal box is inherently less functional than a, a rectangular box, you're going to have unutilized space in it. But anyway, to, to go past that into the experimental side of things, I think that you guys probably have more experience with this, at, at least in terms of YouTube, than I do. But to kind of go back to what we were talking about earlier, um, what Ben was saying about my projects, it is kind of when, when you watch me build something on the channel, Everything is really kind of a prototype for the most Mm -hmm. part, other than like that Bad Larry video where that was a piece I'd actually built several times and it was just the time that I decided to do it on YouTube. But everything you're seeing, it's kind of like, here's my first idea for a shape and here's what I came up with. And I guarantee if I built it 10 more times, you would have a more refined version of that product in the end. Because, I mean, even though I designed things multiple times in the software, there's certain things that you just kind of have to see it in real life. And that's why, you know, big companies will still make a prototype piece because there's just things that are different when you actually like get that piece in real life and you interact with it and you see it in your house. So I guess on, on that level, I'm always kind of experimenting in terms of not so much with techniques, but more just more of like a prototype in like what this design would ultimately become. I think one of the interesting traps that I hear a lot of people falling into with this discussion is, th- is they do make it this sort of decision. You have to pick this or this. Or they say that form follows function, but they really mean that like functions should slap form around and make it do whatever right. it wants. <laughs> right. And a very dictatorial thing. And if you think, think about it in like the context of food, right? 
imagine if we had those same arguments of food. It's like, no, no, no. Form has to follow function or taste has to follow function. And you only ate things with the right sort of macro and micronutrients with like no seasoning or embellishment, right? Yeah. yeah. Sure. Then we'd run like, you know, Iron Man's and be in like great shape and all that stuff. But you would be diminishing some joy. Taste yeah. is part of the function. The sort of joy, mouthfeel, flavor, balancing the sort of acidity with the saltiness and all those things. That's part of the functional sort of art form of it in addition to that. And so that doesn't mean we just eat nothing but like Spam and Cheetos because we don't care about the sort of functional sort of nutritional part. And it also doesn't mean that we eat nothing but, like, kale smoothies with, like, grilled chicken breasts with, like, no salt, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you want that sort of balance. And if for everybody, that's different, right? If you're, if you're just sort of a, someone that just loves food and that's, like, a, you're an interest and you sort of uh, love to travel and experiment with different things, maybe you're sort of eating for sort of pleasure and adventure, like, 40% of the time and just for health 60. But if you're an athlete, maybe it's, like, 90% health and then like 10% cheat days. Yeah. I kind of think about it the same way, the way I sort of approach these things. And I'm always sort of surprised when other people sort of want to dictate what they think uh, is the right sort of role. Um, I have some pieces of furniture in my house that are like super functional. Uh, and often I don't make those like a toothbrush. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, but there's other things that I do. I, I want them to look good. That wasn't the easiest way to build a spiral staircase, but it looks pretty awesome. Right. And like that brings joy. And it, it like people like when they come over to my house for like a dinner party and they're going to invite a friend, they'll be like, Oh, wait till you see this staircase. And so from like a social perspective of how like my apartment functions as an extension of my social life in a place where I entertain and people get to see about what I do and, and, and in many cases sort of learn about it, there's, uh, there's, a, there's a sort of a social function to that as well. Um, and again, you know, back to the sort of ex- experimentation is maybe, you know, the way I framed it earlier was a little bit too broad, right? Like, it's not like you sit down on a project and you're like, this is a form project, right. this is a function project. You might kind of know that it's leaning one way or the other. But really, it's also those three sort of categories are ways to solve little micro problems that come up. So, for example, I was doing a, a cabinet the other day. And I was like, okay, it got to the point where I had the door made and it was the cabinet made and I needed to put a hinge on it. And so it was a decision. Right? So the most easy, functional, efficient way would just be get some standard hinges and do those. I'd probably get them a little crooked, so then it'd be a little wonky, a lot of adjustment. But instead, I uh, used copper pipe to make a pivot point, and then pipe loops to around the back, so it, the the door pivots around the the pipe. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a more formalistically cool way because now I have this like copper detail, so it looks cooler than a traditional hinge. It's a little bit less functional because it has a bigger sort of backswing and takes up a little bit more room, so I lose a little bit of cabinet space. But it also got to experiment with a new technique so I don't have to rely on necessarily going to uh, the, the hardware store to pick up hardware I didn't have. I could use copper pipes that I already have. So it's like a good, in, my, in my brain, there's like not just a sort of two little angels, form versus function, sitting on the other. <laughs> when, when neither one of them looks good, then I'm just like, ah, oh, screw <laughs> it. Just, I'll experiment with something that might not be either or might be both. Yeah. It's like the idea of kind of weighing whether the, what you're giving away in terms of function is worth it when what you're gaining in form. Yeah, and I think it's also saying that function isn't just utility. They're not the same thing. So, you know, function can be about utility, but it also can be about 
like Ben was saying with the staircase, it can just be about making you happy and being a reflection of you. And, you know, it's whatever, I guess, ultimately, it's kind of whatever gives you the most satisfaction. So to go back to his analogy about food, it's about making yourself happy and and (laughs) enjoying things. And so function of furniture can also be about enjoying things, not just about storing things. Yeah, that's a cool way to look at it. And I think when they say like form follows function, it's they're really saying it's about thinking about the use. When it's it's a great way for when you sort of have that sort of maker's block or that sort of creative block, right? Is you just watch the functional. You just experiment with tracing the you know the functional contour of a body, right? Like it's the idea that the shape of a chair should come from its function of sort of holding up the person. Mm-hmm. Or the, the, it could be that the shape of the chair comes from the sort of the function of the way the machine manipulates the material that the, sh- the, the chair is going to be made out of. What's interesting, I think, about that term is that for me, those terms could even imply something like, oh, maybe I don't use paint or something that covers it up, right? <laughs> maybe it's about sort of designing it so that the, the, the grain is part of the aesthetic uh-huh. uh, function as well. So it's one of those things where I think... Uh, like all sort of words that are describing sort of creative acts that you're doing on your own accord, not because somebody's making you do them. Uh, it's always better when you use them to help you rather than use them to slow you down or feel like it's, it's adding a, some sort of added weight or judgment over your, over your shoulder. Right. And I wonder if you could almost make a case for it, for flipping it around where function follows form. So like if you take the example that Ben was using about the, uh, the copper pipe, so, like, what if you just said, hey, I want to work some other kind of materials into this project. I want to work a copper pipe in there. What can I use it for as a function? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's like, the, that's like the deserted island sort of scenario, right? Yeah. <laughs> if, you're on, if you have limited resources, then uh, form often does follow uh, or, or function follows right. form. <laughs> I got this rock. It's my perfect hammer. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, and so, like, one question, Chris, that I have for you is, you know, I guess delving into, like, your mindset. So, as an example, if you're a bad Larry, Mm -hmm. um, whenever you initially came up with that design, was that something where you said, okay, I need to make a functional console table? Or did it come from the form of it saying, like, ooh, I want to make a really cool trapezoidal cabinet. How can I make that functional? Yeah, so more the latter. So, and, and the other thing is, actually, every other time that I built it, it never had a drawer in it. It was always just okay. like doors and shelves and stuff. And so for me, a lot of the times it does kind of work like that where the form will come first. I'll just have a shape idea and then mm-hmm. it's, okay, how do I make this shape useful and realistic and look good and, and all of those things? That's so, cool. I mean, there would be ways that you could you could, you know, if you really wanted to keep diving in deeper with it, you could make it where it was functional, uh, uh, you know, a, a, trapo- a trapezoid-shaped drawer that was functional. Right. But I just didn't want to spend the extra two weeks and not put out a project to to do that. And <laughs> it'd probably have a little bit of a wonkier fit and finish the first time that I did it. And so, you know, it's, it's tossed that aside for now because at the end of the day, I'm, I'm trying to make a video, not make a finished piece. But, you know, if this was, a, you know, Ikea telling me design this thing that we're going to sell a million of them, then, okay, well, yeah, spend those extra two weeks to come up with a functional trapezoidal mm-hmm. drawer. Awesome. So I think we're uh, getting close to the hypothetically speaking portion uh-huh. of tonight's yeah. activities. Yeah, we need All a right. theme song for this. <laughs> I just All need right. something where I can just press a button and it just it's the hypothetical theme song. <laughs> All right. But until we have that, here we go. Ready? So yep. basically, if you could spend six months learning a new technique, skill, or craft... 
what would it be? So I kind of think of this as, you know, kind of going back to making videos, it's hard to spend a lot of time doing something when you know there's going to be no product of it. So if you could like just say like time froze for six months and then you could just come back and start making videos with this technique, what, what would you do? Yeah, I would learn how to weld. It's something I've been wanting to learn how to do for a really long time. And I keep telling myself like, oh, I'm going to learn that really soon. Like that was like my New Year's resolution was like, yeah, this year I'm going to I'm going to learn how to weld real quick. But I still haven't done it and I still don't see myself doing it for the next month, at le- month or so at least. But yeah, if I had the time where I didn't have like the obligation of making videos and not. Uh, yeah, if I just if time froze and I had the chance to do it, I would jump on it. That would be. Awesome, because I got a lot of project ideas that involve welding. So I, I like the question because it, it I, I sort of thinking of it in two parts, right? Like the, the what, what would you do if, if you just had to do it, right? Like sort of necessity says, and you you know you can only pick some tools, and then you just have to like learn that skill, right? Okay. And I think I, I would have the same answer as Mike. I, I, I would pick welding, right? Because uh, again, it's the same thing. It's like uh, my projects have been a lot of concrete, a lot of wood few other sort of random things, a little bit of, of uh, sort of found object pieces of metal, sort of screwed to pieces of wood or embedded in pieces of concrete, um, but not a lot of steel fabrication and welding. Yeah. Um, now, the question then is, is if we want to do that, Mike brings up a great point. And this, this is, for us, it's about we have sort of like a core thing that we have a rhythm to it and we know the financial ramifications for that rhythm, how do we sort of slow down and experiment with something new that might not work out so well? (laughs) Um, And for people that might be listening to this that aren't, you know, that don't have the opportunity to sort of make stuff as often as we do, for them it's like how do I sort of carve out time for my day life to sort of get started on this thing? So there's parallels here definitely for, for sort of all levels, and I think that's why I think it's an interesting topic. So the question for the way I sort of take it is, like Mike, it's welding. So the question is, how do I weave in over the next six months little welding tasks so mm-hmm. I'm not compromising the the sort of the core things that have to sort of happen and are already in play in my life and the obligations that I have? How do I start to integrate these things so that six months from now I feel like I didn't give up anything, but like I'm on my way to sort of a little bit more uh, metalworking? So one of the things I've been doing is I know that I want to start welding. But I know that there's more to welding than just sort of pulling the trigger on the MIG or sparking up the torch in that. Right. So instead, I've been trying to work in two or three projects where I'm just dealing with steel. So uh, last week, we went to a steel yard and ordered a bunch of pipes. And so it was a great – I learned about the different schedules of pipes. What's the difference between schedule 10 pipe and schedule 40 pipe? <laughs> um and yeah, I got to be the noob person who talks to like the really salty steel yeah. guy that's like covered in grease. This just has like no sense of humor. Right. And I just look like this like total hipster tool. Like he's yeah. like, get that. Out. <laughs> you know, what are you doing what are you around want? here? Right? Like, yeah. 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 I, I like roll up in my Prius and like <laughs> get some steel. <laughs> um, and, uh, but I did a little bit of my internet research. So I said, Oh, I'm actually thinking, um, do you have any schedule 10 pipes? I go, oh, no, we don't normally do that. It's too thin for anything. And so I said, Oh, well, I'll take schedule 40 then. Yeah. So I, yeah, I felt like I had a little bit of like schedule, 40 a little bit pipe. of street cred. Yeah. I'm saying right. schedule. And he's like, well, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, 
He's like, you know, that's not uh, the one inch isn't actually one inch in diameter. I'm like, no, it's one point three one five, right? And he's like, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. He's like, oh, okay, right, okay, okay. Friend. He's legit. <laughs> um, so that's like an example, right? Yeah. So for these pipes, I'm not going to weld them. I'm actually going to use like those, like the fancy sort of like scaffolding connections. Oh yeah. Uh, to make a bed frame for also making a bed frame uh, for for a friend. Uh, actually, Jesse, my my sister and uh, uh, business partner, he's going to be the one sort of leading that project. Yeah. Uh, but we're using like those really cool aluminum fittings that you sort of uh, have. They have like a pin that you screw in, so they're really easy to take on and off, as opposed to you know more like cast iron yeah. fittings. That's really um, cool because it puts you almost and, in the mindset of working with wood without having to weld yet. And it's like it's like right. a first step essentially. It gets you introduced right, because before you use the table saw, you want to learn about grain yep. and, yeah. and and. and the, the size and dimensionality that wood comes in. So it was a great thing where, where I didn't slow down because it was just the, the only part involving metal was just acquiring it and doing a little bit of research mm-hmm. um, and then purchasing it and understanding pricing. But it's like now I feel a little bit more comfortable. So if I want to do a welded pipe project, I'm not going to have to do the sourcing. I know the place where I want to buy yeah. it. I know the dimensions it comes in. I know what it costs. I know how heavy it the is. The guy in there likes uh, you now. <laughs> he likes me now. I know how much weight I can fit in the Prius. Um, so yeah. So for that project, so like a, is the only like metal working that you'll have to do is just cutting it to lengths. And dr- oh, I had them cut it. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So it's it just I need this, no, this, and this. It, it, and it was just it was just the research. So I just I just my my goal is I got a welder. It's at my California uh, workshop that I'll be going to this summer. Because uh, I got a shipping container that I'm going to convert into a tiny house, oh, nice. and I'm going to have to do a lot of it. So I'm just sort of building in a little bit of metal projects before then to build a little more familiarity uh, yeah. uh, and, until I start you know, diving into that massive project. Cool. Right on. Me? Yeah, let's hear it. Right. So uh, <laughs> welding would definitely be up high on that list, but in the uh, interest of not saying the same thing again, I would go for bent lamination with wood. Ooh, that's another really good one. Oh. That's my I thought about that too. My only like caveat was I feel like 6 months is a long time to learn. You mean you could have do you a seen lot that more chair that that guy Oh god. Uh, have you seen that chair that Connor Coughlin did? No. Um, well, maybe I don't know. Or Connor Co- Coughlin. He did this uh oh, we'll we'll put it in the the show notes or whatever it is uh um and I'll send it to you guys later. He did the most awesome bent wood chair. He was a he was a Harvard architecture student, um, and I met him in Boston because I was I was friends with one of his professors, and he was like uh, he wanted to talk about sort of you know commercializing this chair and turning it into a product line. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did a really great YouTube video on uh, making this really beautiful sort of sort of like a hybrid rocking chair, but it uses the bent laminations to get its to get its bounce. Uh, but yeah, I can link to that. But no, it's it's a pretty sexy sort of process. Nice. That's- yeah, I mean, it's something I've been interested in a long time. And I think for me personally, it would open up so many doors in terms of design because everything that I design right now is so angular. Yeah. And, you know, when you start doing curves and stuff, it turns into a lot more organic shapes that right now I don't even think about because... I just like have them blocked from my mind because I don't know how to produce them at this point. So I feel like that would really just like open up a whole new world of design to me if I could spend some time learning bent lamination. Yeah, that's a good one. And then welding. You're going to build like the whole steamer box or you think, or would you just do it by sort of... Or the vacuum bag idea. Yeah. So vacuum bags and forms. um, I'd probably start with just like thinner pieces where you didn't need a vacuum bag, where you could just use forms. And Mm -hmm. then, yeah, hope 
to get into like you know making like seats that where there's like actual like you know compound bends where it's all going you know like an eames chair type thing yeah yeah that that was my uh the Ames lounge chair that's my end of the goal end of the year goal is i want to build one of those before the year's up oh man that's like my end of life goal man i know but (laughs) but it's got the like i'm working on the leather part right now i'm introducing myself to leather so hopefully soon i can do something where i can do a little bit lamination and uh yeah the the base and everything i assume i can get the bases yeah probably you just buy a knockoff one and then just yeah that's something, yeah. That's something that that's beyond me being able to build the the base for it. But yeah, that's something I want to do by the end of the year. So just make that your parts chair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, I guess sounds like we can move into our current obsessions. Ooh, yeah. All right, who's got one? I'll go first since it actually kind of ties in with what I was just talking about. So again, I wouldn't call this obsession, but just something I've been thinking about lately. And something I've been reluctant to get into, and that's turning or, you know, getting a lathe, essentially. Yeah. So that actually came up as a result from the one-legged cabinet that I was talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. What I think I'm going to do is I'm going to start with a more angular version and then hopefully use this as my reason to get a lathe and make a more organically shaped one. Yeah. Um, You know, one of the reasons, I don't know if we talked about this before, but one of the reasons I've been really reluctant to get into turning was first off just because of space reasons it's always hard to add an, a new big tool into your shop but mm-hmm. i feel like sometimes people go down the rabbit hole with it where like it looks so fun that then like that's all they do is turning projects and i really don't want right. to do that i want i really want you're afraid of addiction yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> i want to make sure that it's just something that like is another tool in my roster that lets me do new kinds of shapes i wasn't doing before and I think that this project will be a, a really, it, it gives me an excuse to do it and it's going to be used for that purpose that I want it to be used for. So that's kind of what I've been looking into the past couple days and thinking about if I'm going to pull the trigger or not. Dude, I say go for it. I've used a lathe a couple times. Uh, in middle school, I had wood shop and they had some really big lathes. And mm-hmm. I wish, I wish like I appreciated it at the time, but I did a few balls and I did a couple pins and man, it was a lot of fun. I've been really considering at least getting a small one just to be able to do small stuff and play around with. Yeah. It would, be, it would be cool. Yeah. See, I know that if I do it, that I'm, I want to get a longer one first just because I know I'm going to do so many legs on it. And so yeah. I want to make sure I have at least like, a 30 inch capacity yeah even the cheap harbor freight ones you can get bed extensions for though too yeah yeah and that's always kind of the question of i I don't know what your guys philosophy is on it but like when you're just getting into something new do you like to buy the cheapest thing that you can find or try to find a used thing or do you like to like get something good so that you don't have to buy twice i've always been kind of the buy good uh it depends like if, if if i have a recommendation for from like a friend so i've been thinking about trying to uh, powder coat, a ke- like a kettlebell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those like white things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to make like a really cool, just powder coated white one huh. and then dip it like the bottom in like colored, like that, that rubber dip. Yeah. yeah. Plasti so, dip. The plasti dip. So yeah. it'd just be, yeah. So it'd be just like, not the sort of like heavy iron thing. It'd just be this like white sort of perfect smooth sphere thing with a handle and then yeah. a little bit of color at the bottom for the different uh, weights. So I really like it because it's a really efficient piece of exercise equipment but if you made it look awesome, you wouldn't even need a store. It could just like sit out as like a doorstop, and then you just use it when yeah. you when you need it. Right. Um, and I don't have it. And I haven't. I'm not really uh, ballsy enough yet to try to actually like you know forge or cast one out of like brass or something and mm-hmm. blow up the house. Um, <laughs> so, 
but for a, something like that, like I saw Jimmy Duresta, he did a powder coated uh, hammer, mm-hmm. um, and so that sort of like setup. It's not cheap. It's like you know four or five hundred bucks uh, for for everything. But I'd probably pull the trigger on that just because I saw him sort of go through it and it, and it seemed to work well for yeah. him. Uh, and I'm my sure he, idea I'm sure he didn't read the instructions, so I don't have to either. <laughs> my feelings always kind of been. That I feel like if I spend a little bit more to get something good, first off, I'm not going to have to buy it a second time real soon. And yeah. I also feel like it makes me use it. Like I'll, I'll feel guilty about it if I didn't use it enough. And so it really like makes me do yeah. it. Yeah. And I think it kind of depends as well on like, what are your intentions with it? Like if it is something that you expect to use a lot, then yeah. But if it's something that like maybe with a powder coating gun set, like maybe I wouldn't see myself doing a lot of powder coating so maybe I'd go with a cheaper one. But mm-hmm. if I saw myself doing a lot of it, like if I started welding and I started making a lot of metal frames for things and stuff like that, and I actually had a use for it a lot, then maybe that would be something that I would spend a lot of money on, you know? Or at least yeah. spend the money to get one that I knew would last a long time. All right. So uh, I guess who wants to go next with what they're obsessed with? Can you guys hear Man. me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do it. I got Show's it. over. So... I've been so I'm in the process of planning uh, a gallery show for this summer, right? Uh, which is really exciting because right. I get the great some a physical place where people come and see it. So I've been researching a lot of uh, sort of installation art pieces and sort of just different gallery shows that were recommended to me from friends. Everything from like Art Basel to sort of smaller craft shows, and just trying to think about. The internet makes everything so convenient. We can watch so many awesome videos, go on Pinterest, see amazing, you know, feats of furniture, woodworking, making, architecture, all these things, right? So I've been really trying to think that if if I'm asking people to come see an exhibition of me and some of my other friends' work, how do we really make this like a dense, worthwhile experience compared to the wealth of sort of stimulus that they could see on the internet? Um, so I've just been really sort of doing a lot of deep dives into uh, both talking to people that do go to a lot of these types of things and asking them just for all the things you've seen in the last five years, like what what changed you? What was memorable? What, what stood with you? And uh, really just trying to think of how to sort of cram all those things into a gallery that's not that big. It's like, you know, maybe 16 to 1800 square mm-hmm. feet. Um, yeah. So I've been, uh, it's been nice because again, speaking of sort of form versus function, like Taking a vacation and, I mean, so much of what I consume on Pinterest and, and online and videos is sort of furniture or architecture, which are both sort of have a high sort of functional sort of a, a mandate to them. Yeah. But just seeing some, like, installation art that's just – it's just there to, like, blow you away mm-hmm. is, like it, – it was, like, a pretty nice little visual vacation. Right on. All right, so I went through my uh, YouTube history to kind of get myself a little refresher on what I might be obsessed with this week, and (laughs) I am just seeing so many videos on... Have you ever seen the show This Is Not Happening on Comedy Central? No. Okay. Oh, wait, wait. Yeah. Is that... Yeah, yeah, it's like a bunch of comedians telling stories, right? So it's hosted by a guy named Ari Shafir, but essentially... Yeah, he's really funny. He's really good. Yeah, he's hilarious, and essentially the whole show is just comedians come up, and the really cool thing about it is they have like... 10 to 15 minutes to just do a single bit where they're just telling a story, like a real life story about something that's happened to them in their life. And it's freaking hilarious. I've been, 
Yeah, so I went to my history, and it's just like a line of like twenty episodes or twenty uh, clips from "This Is Not Happening." So yeah, check that out. If, check that out if you haven't, man. It's hilarious. So Plus when they show it, is it just like them up on stage talking, yeah. or do they like put visuals to it? Uh, no, not usually. No, but uh, but the cool thing about it is that. With most, like, if you think about it, like, with a late night set, is like, if comedians come out, they get like two minutes to kind of like cram as much, you know, joke as they can. But with this, they get like 10, 15 minutes. So they really get to like delve into this like really long story to come up with like a really good, you know, zinger at the end. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And there's almost like, there's not the pressure to like, right have a joke every minute or whatever it's kind yeah. of just like let me just tell this story and it doesn't have to be like piss your pants funny it can just be an entertaining story that's got a couple laughs in there yeah so yeah if you haven't checked it out check it out it's hilarious and they have ever like and it's all on youtube as well so really nice, good to man. see i never heard of that i'm gonna check it out awesome well does anybody have anything else or do you want to go ahead and send it to the send it to the outro send it to the outro and <laughs> Well, and, oh, well, I'll make a little request of the audience first. And again, if you have any ideas for future show topics, be sure to hit us up on whatever channel you can find us. Instagram is probably the best way to sort of catch my attention. Just start commenting really loudly and say, hey, <laughs> bring this up in the in the Modern Maker podcast. Um, you know, email the show. Are we going to put up a show email? Yep. Yeah, there's a form. Yeah, awesome. you can. So, yeah, so go a- on that form, fill it out, give us some ideas because, uh, yeah. We're busy experimenting with all this form and function crap. Use our form. There you go. That's a that's the perfect tie-in right there. Exactly. All right. So where can everybody find each of y'all at? Chris, where are you? I'm on YouTube. I'm on Instagram. Like I always say, just Google Four Eyes Furniture and, and you'll find me. Awesome. Well, search me on Instagram. I'm at Modern Builds. And uh, follow me there. I'm going to start putting some more stories and doing some more live live streams as well. So check me out there. And for me, just go to homemade-modern.com, and then there's links to all the social media channels. But again, Instagram's where I normally answer most of my messages. Awesome. So thank you guys very much for watching. If you enjoyed the show, we would really appreciate you going to iTunes or wherever you really get your podcasts from and leave us a rating or a review. Uh, Let us know what we're doing well, what you might want to see, how we could improve the show. Um, And yeah, don't forget to subscribe. That way you can keep updated every time we post a new podcast, which will be every Thursday. Thursday, right, guys? Sounds good to me. Okay, <laughs> we can we can edit that little <laughs> yeah, part out. Thursday-ish. I was just like I was ninety percent sure it was Thursday. I just didn't want to be wrong. He's got All a right. one in seven <laughs> chance of being right. Yeah, we'll post new episodes on Thursday. So thank you guys very much for hanging out, and we'll see you next time on the Modern Maker Podcast. Bye.